And we're doing golf rules on this, right? In terms of the score. <laughs> yeah, weirdest pants wins. <laughs> Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our quarters and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schuber. I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are well-versed in solving very tricky little word puzzles of sorts, if you will. It's the Hey Riddle Riddle team of Adol, Aaron, and JPC. Today's mysteries are from Encyclopedia Brown. Adol will be playing for Asata. Daughter's Charity, Aaron will be playing for Beam, and JPC will be playing for the Chicago Freedom School. So without further ado, let's put the pedal to the metal and meet our guests. Hey, Riddle Riddle team, how's it going? Woo! Very good. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, uh, very well, I would say. <laughs> that, that intro had so much good energy in it. I feel like really good. I'm sitting up straighter and I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that's the case. I'm trying to bring as much good energy to the world as I can with this podcast. And, you know, that's that's what we're going to be doing by trying to figure out these Encyclopedia Brown Mysteries, which I've selected for you all because they're the most similar to riddles. So mm. I feel like it's the most in your wheelhouse we can get for this podcast. So I would just like to start out by saying that I feel terrible uh, that this is uh, for a charity um, because my <laughs> energy is very much uh, a destructive one um so i've never actually tried to like solve a riddle or solve a puzzle before in my entire life what i've tried to do is uh, destroy uh, a puzzle or riddle through bits and i usually i typically try and facilitate riddle solving and then also shame people so i'm not sure my role in this but i also fear mike what happens if uh, all three of us just fail wildly thankfully i love to give out bonus points willy-nilly for anything that makes me laugh or it brings me joy. So if it's a just bonus point only episode, you can still win. Perfect. It's perfect. Totally yeah, I'm, I'm banking on that. That's what I'm going to go after. <laughs> I just want to make sure up front that the charity is not going to be able to come after me. Basically, anything that they get is a bonus, and I'm not going to be held personally responsible for like defunding an important uh, organization. Again. <laughs> yes. Actually, what will happen if you do perform poorly, the entire charity is going to get shut down. I have not told you this ahead of time, but that's the stakes. No, no, no I'm familiar. This has happened to me before. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is a frequent thing for me. So I guess I just love to say that I'm excited and I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so here's how the game is going to work. I will be recapping four quick mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown. None of you have read or seen these mysteries ahead of time. I'll lay out all the clues. I'll ask for your accusations, for the motives, who did it, how Encyclopedia Brown knew, and each correct guess will earn you points. Now, there's also bonus points, as I mentioned, if you throw out a fun insult, if your guess is particularly ridiculous, or or if you give the same incorrect guess that I had in doing preparation for this podcast, I will give you a Misery Loves Company bonus point because I'm oh. usually very bad and very wrong at these mysteries. Mike, what if we, uh, are there any bonus points if we call you impossibly handsome? Um, I will not, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna not let you f- try to flatter hey, me through. had to try, <laughs> had to try. We'll see. I mean, if it's a, if it's a really, really good compliment, I'm just gonna have to throw a bonus point over there. What can I get for possibly charming? <laughs> <laughs> what do I get if I send you a puppy in the mail? You will get a puppy back in the mail because <laughs> I cannot have a dog right now. Return to oh, sender. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and Mike, you said that uh, we have no knowledge of any of these Encyclopedia Brown mysteries. Does that mean that these are going to be different from the four that you emailed me personally? Uh, let's let's just we'll talk about that later. Oh, okay, we'll great. T- we'll just, and you can we'll edit that out. <laughs> Obviously, I, underst- I understand <laughs> yeah. now that that should have been said, and you can just edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> totally, I'll for sure just clip that so it sounds totally fine. At the end of these four rounds, if it is still tied, you are all in luck because the way that we break ties here on the show is with sudden death riddles, incredibly in your wheelhouse. So we'll see if it gets to that. But I think with all of the rules laid out, we should get into our first mystery, which is the case of the gnome's beard. I'd just like to add, Mike, that I completely agree. I think that that's an excellent direction for us to go to get into the mystery. (laughs) Don't know what that's worth. You know, maybe pay what you can, uh, but I think you're on the right track here. Thank you. I appreciate it. That has boosted my self-esteem, but the score is still zero to zero to zero. (laughs) With us three as guests, can you call this episode middling adults? Ooh, okay. That's that's a bonus point there. That's a good pun that I wasn't expecting. Damn it. So, Gary Hale enters the Brown Detective Agency with a beer can. Now, Gary Hale, I can only assume is Tony Hale's brother, but he is also a child, so I found it very strange that he's just got a beer can as he walks into Encyclopedia Brown's garage, but it turns out that the bottom is missing and it's an empty beer can. Gary explains that the hole in the can is for air, and he says that Bugs Meany, the town bully, the rival and enemy of Encyclopedia Brown, he made the hole in the can because he stuck it over Gary's gnome. Now, of course, this would be a bit confusing of why is there a can over a gnome, but what Gary explains is that the gnome is actually a gnome candle, and the can was used in a firecracker lighting incident. Can I just say that uh, people in the 1950s had vastly different problems than we do today? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very, very different. Help, someone stole my candle is what we're dealing with in this (laughs) mystery. Just feels a little lower stakes than what we've got going on right now. That is honestly a problem that I am having right now is Target is sold out of my favorite candle. And I have alerts that go off at 4 a.m. to tell me when it's restocked, and I keep missing it. So I'm having those exact problems today. Wait, how are you missing it? Is it an online order, or is someone going to Target at 4 a.m. and buying up all these candles? (laughs) Well, everyone loves this candle, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, because I don't need more people looking for it. (laughs) But (laughs) I'll wake up at 7 a.m., and I'll be like, I missed it. I missed it again. I'm never going to get this candle. It's like a $4 candle, but it's the best smell in the world. Anyways. I'm fine. <laughs> you need to find someone in a different time zone to get the alerts so that 4 a.m. for them is a normal hour and then they can buy you a candle. You just ask Adel. Adel is up at 4 a.m. almost uh-huh. every night. He can get you this candle. And actually, Aaron Aaron just texted me the candle scent. If any listeners want to know, it is outdoor cocaine. <laughs> 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 I'm addicted and I need it. <laughs> the narrator describes Bugs Meany, which we're well established with his shenanigans, but I did like this particular description. It says Bugs was the leader of a gang of tough older boys who called themselves the Tigers. They should have called themselves the Tea Bags. They were always getting into hot water. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so Gary explains that he won a jelly bean guessing contest at the local toy shop, and the prize was this gnome shaped candle. So after he he went to pick up this candle. He says immediately Bugs and the Tigers stole it from him and then used it to light firecrackers on the highway. 
The beer can with the hole was so that Bugs could put it over the gnome candle and it would block the wind because there was a very strong breeze and then through the hole they would light the firecrackers and then shoot them off at cars, I guess. I don't know. I never did this as a kid. It feels highly dangerous. It feels like Gary Hale's providing way too many details, which suggests that he's lying from the get-go. So I'm not even going to try and solve this (laughs) because this kid's full of shit. So Encyclopedia Brown decides that they should just go to the Tiger's clubhouse to confront Bugs Meanie and figure out what's up. Now, when Encyclopedia Brown approaches Bugs, he hits him with one of his trademark get out of here statements, and they are so incredibly gold, but this is the best one. Bugs immediately to Encyclopedia Brown says, quote, get off the earth once he sees Encyclopedia walk into the clubhouse. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would affect me. That would ruin my day. (laughs) Famously, one of uh, Will Smith's cut lines from Independence Day. (laughs) Get off the earth. And they're like, well, why don't you say welcome to? Okay. Well, what he should have said is the following line. Bugs continues. He's in addition to saying get off the earth says, or I'll twist your nose so far around. You'll part your hair every time you sneeze. Wow. Burn. Pretty creative. If a bully said that to me, I'd be like, fuck you, dude. You spent way too long thinking about that. (laughs) I I got the better of this exchange. When they step inside the clubhouse, they see the gnome candle facing the entryway. And Encyclopedia Brown can tell that it's been used before because wax has dripped down the gnome's face, making like a beard of wax below him on his chest. That's why the case is the case of the gnome's beard. Got it. So Encyclopedia Brown accuses Bugs Meanie of using the candle. Bugs says, quote, you've got bubbles in your think tank. If I had nothing better to do than enter jelly bean contests, I'd go jump in the lake. Honestly, Bugs has a pretty good point. I would be exhausted if I talked like this. I would be tired. <laughs> all of the time. So Bug says that he bought the candle on his own two days ago and he hasn't touched it. The only thing that he's done with it is lit it. He didn't move it from this location. He said he lit it in the clubhouse so that the tigers could see that he was inside the clubhouse if they wanted to come and hang out. Now Encyclopedia Brown points out that the clubhouse has no windows, so how would they have been able to see it? Bug says that he left the door open. Encyclopedia Brown says, oh, but it was a breezy night. That would have blown the candle out. And Bug says that it wasn't strong enough to blow the candle out. You can see that the candle is burnt down pretty well. And then Encyclopedia Brown says, too well. And that's the end. And the book asks you, how does Encyclopedia Brown know? So I turn it to you three. How does Encyclopedia Brown know that Bug's meanie is lying? Oh, boy. Was this a one of a kind candle? Was this like a bespoke gnome? candle or did the candle talk at all why is that your first question (laughs) it is not a magical or wonderful fantastical candle it is a standard issue gnome shaped candle (laughs) i I have to ask this did it talk (laughs) (laughs) so his friend gary newman uh says that his beer can was ruined i don't think i don't think it's his beer can he just came in with the evidence of the beer can well possession is nine tenths of the law so (laughs) his beer can now uh, so he said that the candle burned a hole in the bottom of the can. Is that what it was or no? Bugs took the can. He cut a hole in it so that it could go over the candle. Gotcha. And then they were lighting it through like the drinking hole spout part of a can. I realize I've never known the technical term for that. The top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The mouthpiece. What are we trying to resolve here? How do we help? <laughs> <laughs> there is proof that Bugs Meanie used the candle for firecracker usage. And Encyclopedia Brown was able to deduce this by things that he saw inside of the clubhouse. 
And that is what we're trying to get to the bottom of. Is it, does it have anything to do with uh, Bugs Meanie's fingers? Did, did he find like ash or soot on anything? I don't know. Could be an option. Okay. Okay. Was there at the base of the candle, was there like a circle of wax or like a circle of soot where it, it, there's an outline of the bottom of the can? It says that the only wax is the stuff that's dripped onto the front of the gnome making this faux beard of sorts. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'll lock in on my answer because that is the only way, the only foreseeable way that I see this being resolved is that they caught them, uh, you know, red-handed or in this case, uh, black-fingered. Uh, they have some sort of soot or ash on his hands uh, that he only could have gotten from uh, picking up the uh, beer can. Got it, all right. I'm real suspicious about the wax only going down the front of the candle. Now, we all know wax uh, has no stake in the game when it comes to which direction it falls. So typically it falls <laughs> all around. So why isn't there wax down the back of it, the gnome's head? So maybe the positioning of the can forced all the wax to flow forward and run down the interior of the can. Ad always just talks with the cadence of a detective at the end of a movie. And it makes it sound so much better always than it actually is. Oh, and one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, my, my guess is the same as JPC's, like there being some sort of like soot or something on the wax beard. Okay. So the answer is that it has to do with the wax. Adol was very close. What gave it away is that the candle was facing the door. Bugs Meany said that he opened the door so that they could see it. But because it's a strong breeze, the wax would have been behind the gnome if the wind had blown in. So because it fell down the gnome, that means it was protected under the can. Mm. So I figured Adel was close enough, so I gave you the full points for that, giving wow. you three points for correctly guessing. Thank it. you. I also want to plug, Mike, if I may, I want to plug, there's a VH1 show called Behind the Gnome. It gives all the dirty secrets of David the Gnome. Uh, his rock bottom, <laughs> uh, when he was, you know, drug abuse and, and all the uh, all the antics that he had uh, backstage. So uh, check out um, Behind the Gnome. It's really great. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, put it up on Patreon as like a bonus episode, my reactions. Thank to you, it. thank you, thank you. <laughs> so at the end of the first round, we have Ada leading four to zero to zero as we move into our second mystery, the case of the missing ring. I'm ready. Mrs. Bevan talks to Encyclopedia Brown about a robbery that happened to her and it involves her husband. Mr. James Bevan had the diamond ring which belonged to King Louis XIV and it was stolen from him. Now, robbers entered his house, and they hit him over the head while they do so, so his memory is cloudy. What makes the situation tricky is that Mr. Bevan wrote a note to Mrs. Bevan telling where he hid the ring away from the robbers, but he doesn't remember writing it. Mike, can I ask, do we know what town Encyclopedia Brown resides in? He lives in Idaville, Indiana, which is a real town that exists in the world. But what's very confusing is that the book often talks about them going to the beach, but the nearest beach is 90 minutes away. Okay, so even the book lies. So it's a magical land. Uh -huh. uh, Japes, you're from Indianapolis. Is Idaville a thing? Uh, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. What's it known for? Is it known for Louis XIV's uh, personal jewelry? <laughs> so Louis XIV, he summered in Idaville, Indiana. <laughs> Isn't Versailles based on Idaville? Uh, no, the other way around. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. The mirrored city? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're sister cities, yeah. 
they have an exchange program all the time for kids where they'll you know swap for high schools. They say that there was no place that you'd rather be in the 17th century than uh, Idaville, Indiana. It was different. It was like smaller. It was like you know more a little more rural back then, but it was still it was still popping. I believe there was a separate Louisiana purchase just for Idaville because they really wanted to raise the price of just Idaville. <laughs> and Louis the Fourteenth was a huge Pacers fan. Oh yeah. He loved the Pacers. Love the Pacers. Rick Smith was his favorite, right? The Flying Dutchman. <laughs> He's a big Rick Smith guy. I'd make an Indiana reference, but uh, I've never learned a single thing about Indiana. That's a pretty good Indiana reference, though. <laughs> There's not pretty much good. to know. And we'll also accept the Louis the Fourteenth reference if you want to make one of those. <laughs> Aaron, you can just say, you can just say those Indiana Kings on those Indiana Knights. Tom Petty. Um, Kurt Vonnegut was there for a second. There you go. Yeah. Hello. Yay. Okay, I've given everyone a bonus point for uh, these sweet Indiana references. Oh, nice. I like describing Indiana as a place where Kurt Vonnegut was for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Not like the seminal place where he like built his career and is like most known for putting Indiana on the map. But... I think Mike gave us all a point to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That is not the case, but we do have a case to discover the root of. So on the night of the theft, Mrs. Bevan had gone out to see a movie. Mr. Bevan stayed home because he needs a cane to walk around so he doesn't like to go out to frivolous things like movies. But the robbers came in. They demanded that he hand over this ring to them. Mr. Bevan says that it's upstairs, but that was a lie. So when they go upstairs, they hit him over the head. But Upstairs is just Mrs. Bevan's jewelry. He has the ring somewhere downstairs. So after getting hit in the head, he hides the ring, crawls over to a typewriter, typewrites a note, and then passes out and woke up in the hospital because Mrs. Bevan came home, saw what was up, took him to the hospital, etc. So the note that they find reads as such. Two men tried to steal the diamond ring. They hunted all over the house, raving about like madmen. They even split open the cat. What? When all failed, they beat me, but I didn't tell, and so they hunted a little while longer. I may be dying. I hid the ring in the vein. <laughs> and that's the end of the note. <laughs> I do want to share a quick anecdote, which is... Why did that make you think of something? <laughs> I just love the, the wherewithal to write this note, and I do want to share a quick anecdote, which was for a short time, my sister, my mom, and I lived with my grandma in Neponset, Illinois. And one time we came home from like a night on the town, I think going to the movies and we came home and my grandma was asleep on the couch and pinned with a brooch to her sweater was a note that said, if I'm dead, I smelled gas. Oh my Whoa. God. <laughs> and we woke her up and she's like, oh, uh, sorry about the note. I smelled gas, but I was so tired I had to go to sleep. So I thought to write a little note so that if I died, you guys knew the source of death. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez. We're like, surely the, uh, you know, uh, they would have figured that out from an autopsy, grandma. Yeah, but honestly, now the coroner just like doesn't have to work that day. So that's like, it's not really great news for you, but for him, it's like, that's an afternoon off. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I could stop myself from dying, but I'm a little tired. <laughs> so Mike, we we have to ask, um, does the ring talk? No. Was the cat, when they said the cat was split open, was that an actual cat or is that like a, a euphemism or like some sort of statue? Like, do we know? So I will, I will continue the story. It will bring to light this cut open cat situation. Got it. Perfect. So Encyclopedia Brown asked, asks Mrs. Bevan about the vein, and she says that the only vein that she knows of is a weather vein on the roof. Now, I don't know if it's just because I'm not 87 years old. What's a vein? A weather vein? A weather vein? You don't know what a weather vein is? Yeah, is that just like, is that a name for a gutter? Nope. It's like a metal, usually it's like a rooster with an arrow, and what happens is as the wind blows, 
the weather vane is made of like a light enough metal that it goes with the wind. Oh, that's what that thing is? I've never known the name of that. But yeah, that's a weather vane. But also, I think Carly Simon later admitted that uh, weather vane was actually about Warren Beatty. Do not give him a point for that. <laughs> I didn't even get the reference, so I'm not giving Thank a point. Thank God. <laughs> I guess if you don't know what a weather vane is, you probably don't know Carly Simon. <laughs> the only thing I'm thinking of is that song, You're So Vain. I bet you think the song is about you. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, look at me. Woo. Can you give yourself <laughs> I'm a, genius. a point? <laughs> I have already done so. Way ahead of you. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown asks about the vein. She says that it was not inside of it. Now, the whole cat situation is the next thing they tackle. Mrs. Bevan finds it especially perplexing because one, who cuts up a cat? And two, the Bevins don't have a cat. So she thinks, oh, I guess, and this is such a shame, but I guess like a stray cat ran in and they cut it up and disposed of the body because it's nowhere in the house. This is a children's book. Uh, but Mrs. Bevins says that the house was completely torn to shreds. And to prove this, she takes him down to the cellar and shows him that there's a bunch of boxes and crates that have been broken. And then there's wine all over the floor because they had a big vat of it and they busted it up to see if the ring was inside of that. She is concerned and thinks that maybe the note is a fake. They actually do have the ring and they're just trying to get them on this wild goose chase to not spend time finding where they went. But Encyclopedia Brown assures her that he knows where it is. So I turn to you three. Where's the ring? I think I immediately know the answer. Okay, what is it? Should I try and solve? Oh, yes, please do. So we have to assume when Mr. Bevins or whatever his name is was bonked on the head, we have to assume he was concussed and his brain went all scramblies. So what I think happened is you mentioned that there was a vat of wine in the cellar and he says they cut open the cat. He also says it's in the vein. So what I think happened is he's concussed. He swapped out the C and the V. They broke open or spliced open the vat and the ring is in the cane. So you swap the V and the C and that gives the answer. Yeah, I think it's in the cane. Okay. That was my guess. So now I don't want to get too vulgar, but you said that the show was explicit. So I will I'll try my best to break this down in scientific terms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As we all know, uh, cat has many slang uh, words to describe it. One of those words is pussy. Now, pussy colloquially <laughs> oh, no. is also slang for uh Vagina. I'm going to stop you right there. Because um, <laughs> I want to tell you I love what you're doing. Keep going. Now, uh, the phrase split open the cat obviously means sex. Uh, that's, a, that's a euphemism for sex. He says the ring is in the vein. Now, what does that mean? Mike, if I'm right, now is your time to just scream it. <laughs> oh, I'm not letting this stop. I'm not letting this stop. <laughs> when someone says that they're going to go drain the main vein, that means they're going to pee. So your main vein is your penis. So, sex, cat, penis, we've got all of those things working together. I think he swallowed the ring. <laughs> you guys think this is a joke, but JBC is actually a medical doctor, so this is not funny. <laughs> that is my guess. My guess is that he, the ring is inside of his body. Now, he either put it, he either swallowed it, that's the easiest way, he keistered it, or, um, you know, he went down the pee hole, which is the most painful way, but not an impossible way to hide a ring. Got it. All right. Well, I will say in a stunning turn of events, JPC, you're incorrect. That is not actually it, though. I have given you a bonus point for that very thorough answer. Aaron and Adel, you are correct. It was the whole hit with his brain, not 100% there after getting bonked in the head, mixed up the C and the V. They're also very close to each other on a typewriter. And that's exactly it. Now, when I read the book, this was very obvious because when the narrator is describing it, it says a large barrel of wine, comma, or vat, 
comma, was broken into pieces. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what it is. But uh, I tried to leave that out to make it a little bit harder for you all. But yeah, you guys nailed it. So at the end of this second round, Adel leads eight to four to two. I was going to say, yeah, does Aaron get points for just riding my fucking coattails? She, I'm, trust, I'm trusting. You know what? I would have said something. <laughs> yeah, it's a very honor system heavy podcast that we have going here. <laughs> if we honor Mr. Devin's constant mix up of letters for the rest of his life, if he dies, we have to assume that on his tombstone it says I love my life <laughs> <laughs> which would still be a true statement and very adorable <laughs> the third case now is the case of the red boat so Encyclopedia Brown is going fishing with his dad now he notices when his dad is loading up the tackle box I've never gone fishing before uh, he sees that his dad puts a gun in there and his dad goes hey dad what <laughs> That's a dead stop. Mike, I do need to check in. It sounded just from context clues, uh, you didn't know what a tackle box was? I just didn't know if that's the term. I've heard the word tackle okay. box, uh, and I'm okay. assuming that's like the stereotypical box where all the fishing stuff goes. All right, we'll let it slide. Also, a gun? <laughs> I believe tackle box is a character in the Police Academy movies. <laughs> Yeah, there's Hightower, Tacklebox. Uh. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown's dad explains that there was a robbery nearby where people stole $300,000 of jewels and fur, and then they escaped by boat. Now, I always like to turn to my favorite website when I do Encyclopedia Brown episodes, and that's the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics to figure out the inflation. So in today's money, that would be equivalent to $2,441,847.62. So is this small town in Indiana, is this like the Cairo of America? Like, why are all these jewels and precious items laying around? The the amount of high dollar crimes, kidnappings, and other situations that happen in Idaville baffle me to no other. I think it's a town exclusively inhabited by criminals and rich people that don't lock their doors. It's like the hospital in Grey's Anatomy. Like, how is it possible (laughs) that so many terrible things happen in one place? (laughs) That's very, very true. And worth a bonus point. Ooh! (laughs) I don't even watch that show. Uh, You look, it's so bananas and I'm always here for a Grey's Anatomy dunk. It just doesn't make any sense. All the doctors are sexy and everyone dies all the time. Wait, who's your favorite character? I like, who's the George? Is that the guy? The one not hot guy? (laughs) He's my fave. (laughs) Like the only not hot person that gets hired. Oh, isn't his name uh, Dr. McMahon? Yep. So the robbers escaped by boat, and then there was a storm right after. So Encyclopedia Brown's dad is worried that they might be stranded at sea, and they could still have some sort of weapon on them. So he brought the gun just to be safe. What sea butts up against Indiana? None. (laughs) Like, you'd have to go all the way to Lake Michigan, and it's 90 minutes away. But they go to the beach all the time in these books. I don't get it. Technically, there is a sea that gets pretty close to Indiana, and that is Uh uh, Sea Chicago. Um, but it's not it's not on the border, so I don't know that that necessarily counts. I have no idea. I know nothing about the state if that wasn't clearly made evident over the course of this podcast. So they start fishing in the ocean, and then Encyclopedia Brown sees a red boat in the distance. The Coast Guard comes up, and they go, hey, you guys heard about the robbers? That might be them. You should come on deck, because if there's a shootout, this Coast Guard boat is the safest place to be. I don't know if this is true. I know nothing about boats, but we're going to roll with it. Yeah, I already know the answer to this one, which is Encyclopedia Brown and his father both died. Uh, (laughs) They've gone into some sort of fugue dream state, because there's no ocean near Indiana. The Coast Guard does not patrol Lake Michigan. (laughs) 
So the Coast Guard takes them in and they approach the red boat. When they do so, a man comes out onto the deck. He gasps for air. He wipes sweat off of his brow and he says, thank goodness you found us. Then he desperately asks for water. He says that his name is Rodney and that him and his friend were out for a day of fishing when the storm hit them. The waves were terrible. Their radio went dead. And then with the storm, seawater got into the gas of the boat and the engine quit. And they said that they've been drifting a sea for four days without food and water. They had food in a chest, but it was washed overboard with all of their fishing gear, and Ben passed out yesterday from thirst, and he's in the cabin of the boat. Huh. Okay, so case closed. (laughs) (laughs) So the Coast Guard brings the men on board and below deck, and then they start checking out the red boat. They see that everything Rodney described is true in terms of there's no food, there's no fishing equipment, the radio is busted, the engine is shot, etc. And then Encyclopedia Brown goes, but what about the guns and the stolen jewels and fur? And the Coast Guard is confused, and he says, no, these guys are lying. So I turn to you three. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that these two red boat riders were Red boat liars. Can you survive four days without water? That seems uh, improbable. I think you can. I think you can go. You can go that long without uh, food or water. Japes, I don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear from someone who famously drinks their own piss. So you stay out of this. I would say it's more infamous. <laughs> <laughs> I love you being defensive about that. Yeah. I'd say I'm more infamous than famous. My guess is maybe either it's impossible to survive for four days without water, and that's so they know they're lying, or maybe the radio is broken with like a bullet hole or something. Like they shot the radio when they saw the coast guard coming and they they panicked and broke it with a gunshot and there's an obvious bullet hole okay sounds good my guess is the water and next time i talk first so i don't sound like i'm copying at all <laughs> <laughs> what about the water is your guess just that that they couldn't survive that long on they it? couldn't survive that long without it got it got it what about you jpc well i think you definitely can survive that long without water but they didn't mention any details in here about like Encyclopedia Brown knew that they had also stolen all of the jewels and everything, right? He just knew that they were lying about the situation that was going on. Okay. So it's less about him knowing they stole the jewels for sure, and it's more about he knows this guy's story was a complete crock. Yeah, I guess my whole thing was I was wondering if Encyclopedia Brown had an idea of where they were keeping the jewels and he could prove it. Uh, but there is, there's obviously something in here that, in the context that was the lie that he picked up on. Uh, so I yeah I don't know I'm, I'll take a I'll take um, I think I you said that I get four passes per episode so I think I'll yes. take my my uh, my first pass on this one. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So I will give Aaron and Adel a Misery Loves Company bonus point because that was my guess and that you can't survive on four days without food and water. That's ridiculous. The solution is that when Rodney came out of the boat, it says that he wiped sweat off of his brow. And if you hadn't had water for four days, your body would not produce sweat if you were that dehydrated. What? That's how Encyclopedia Brown knew they were lying. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Which I guess sounds right. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it checks out for me, I guess. That makes sense. That does make sense. Okay, I'll allow it, but I would never have gotten that. Don't worry. We've got one more mystery, and maybe you can redeem it and end on a good note. But at the end of these three rounds right now, Adol has nine, Aaron has six, and JPC has two. And we move on to our fourth and final mystery, the case of the money changer. And we're doing golf rules on this, right? In terms of the score. <laughs> Yeah, weirdest pants wins. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
Hector Conklin, which is a name, pushed a wheelbarrow full of old socks into the Brown Detective Agency, and the socks begin to clink. This is because the socks have a bunch of pennies inside of them. That's where we're starting right off the bat with this case. I'm I'm sitting this out. (laughs) (laughs) So Hector says that he needs change. They're all filled with pennies. It's $15 worth of pennies. He wanted to take them to the bank to get them changed into dollars. But he saw Red Slattery, which is also a name, down the street. So he pulled into Encyclopedia Brown's garage for safety. Now, they explain that Red Slattery is a tough teenager, the book's words, not mine, who kids around town have warned that he has a scheme where he goes up to an innocent kid saying, hey, can you make change for a dollar or a quarter or whatever? And then he just takes the kid's money and runs away. Also, it should be noted that Red Slattery is fantastic on uh, all seasons of Mad Men. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your references, adult. (laughs) I thought Red Slattery felt like the name of a guitarist in a rock band back in the 80s when everybody changed their name. Oh, yeah. Like, no one has a real name. Every single artist is like, oh, Ace Freely, that's my name now. Uh, that's what I thought Red Slattery was. <laughs> to me, that seems like like a newspaper headline where they just, like, weeded a bunch of communists out of the entertainment in- industry. <laughs> like, Red Slattery! Like, <laughs> the Reds have been slattered. <laughs> So, Red Slattery is especially scary because he beat up Bugs Meanie, the town bully. When Bugs and Red got into a confrontation, Hector explains, quote, Bugs told Red to put a hat in his mouth, just killing it with the insults, Bugs, but then Red emptied his pockets of money and threw him into a creek. I mean, this tracks. uh, Hurt people hurt people, so, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm, bullying mm -hmm. is this cyclical thing, and, you know, it's like... They're trapped in a system that they can't see past and they can't avoid. And I do feel bad for them as much as I feel uh, bad for the people that are bullied. Yeah, and it's a bully bullying a bully. So it's hurt people hurt hurt people. Hurt people hurt people hurt people hurt people. (laughs) There's so much hurt that's weighing on the shoulders of the youth in this town. And, you know, the... The adults are out solving their fake boat crimes and whatever. Like, they're completely blind to the interactions here. Wait, you guys, can we change the name from Hey Riddle Riddle to Hey, Hurt People, Hurt People, Hurt People? (laughs) I mean, it's going to be the title of this episode, I feel like. (laughs) The case of the hurt people hurting people who hurt people. The people who are hurt by people that are hurting people. Now I'm in a situation where the word people just doesn't sound like it's a real word. Kind of like if you say zone five times in a row, it's not a word anymore. Yeah. Zone, 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 zone. Zone, 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 zone. Yep. Like, what is that? It's nothing. I sound like a car trying to start. Aaron, can you say that one more time? Yeah. Zone, 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 cow, zone, cow, zone, cow, zone, cow, zone, cow, zone, cow, zone. cow. Okay, great. <laughs> That's a bonus point right there, baby. Is anyone in the mood for Italian food? <laughs> bonus point for cow zones. Ah, uh, yes, the score is three six nine now. Little John would be so proud of us. Mm-hmm. I went to get my car fixed at Calzone. Fucked up the engine real bad. <laughs> oh, well, now it's three six ten. Damn it. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> So Encyclopedia Brown and Hector decide that the only way to stop Red Slattery is to have an adult catch him red-handed because then there is some proof behind the whole his word versus mine argument because adults are more important. So Encyclopedia Brown has a plan. They're going to sneak over to Mr. Link's house. They describe that Mr. Link is an artist who works from home, and he's also a coin collector. Now, I am aspiring to be a Mr. Link-type character because I'm a full-time podcaster. I work from home. 
I need some sort of collection, but I definitely want to be the guy that works from home that 11-year-olds in town come to when they need to uh, stop town bullies. I really want to be Mr. Link when I grow up. <laughs> it feels like you're on track. I'm getting there. Nothing would make me happier than a job where as an adult I could beat the shit out of kids who are acting <laughs> up. <laughs> Uh, Japes, that was already made into a movie called Drillbit Taylor. <laughs> Do you collect anything yet? Anything, any weird collections? Uh, I don't, I've, I've not really been a big collector of sorts. Um, the closest I ever got to that was getting a bunch of cool accessories for my car in the video game Rocket League or fun accessories in the video game Team Fortress 2. That's the closest I ever got to uh, collecting. Mm -hmm. But no, I've, I don't have anything like shoes. Those get too expensive. Stamps I just use for functional purposes. I'm going to have to embark on it. Oh, ah, I have a lot of socks. I have a lot of very cool socks. Mm -hmm. And you you uh, free a lot of house elves? Yeah, uh -huh, <laughs> I do. I do. That's part of my job. That's So it's a lot of just singular socks. I also say I got to say that if you are into um, becoming a collector, but uh, one of your main detractors is, it is too expensive, I got to say that whole hobby is based around like, expensive shit that you don't need not if it's like leaves yeah yeah you could also be a total weirdo you could be a leaf collector like a, per a person who just collects leaves at your house but like that's also that i think that's more of like hoarder territory and like I feel like maybe someone has to do like an intervention if you start becoming that type of collector. What I've noticed about collecting and stuff is that it's just acquiring things that other people have decided should be expensive. And then the only way you can prove the merit is if you also tell other people, oh, this thing is very expensive. That's why I have it. And that's why it's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like art. It's uh, completely subjective, but there are like objective prices that we associate with it. Yeah. I found this out with sneaker stuff because... The, the, I have like two pairs of uh, cool sneakers. I am not a sneaker head by any means, but one of the pairs of sneakers I got is because apparently the sneaker head community all decided that this one shoe was very ugly, so it's not worth anything. So Nike had it on sale for like 20% of the retail price. And I was like, sure, I'll get these shoes. And all of the internet was like, these are bad. These are not worth collecting. So uh, thanks, sneakerheads. I got shoes. So you love ugly sneakers. Mm -hmm. You love ugly doctors. Mm -hmm. Mike, I'm noticing a trend. You I should like collect ugly the ugly things. things. Yeah. You invited mm. me on the podcast. <laughs> I get it. My favorite Netflix show is Ugly Delicious. <laughs> I was heartbroken when Ugly Betty got canceled. I completely forgot about that show. Wow. Seen zero <laughs> episodes on it. <laughs> so they explain the plan to Mr. Link. He's on board. And Encyclopedia Brown asks Mr. Link for $7.19. He says that they need a $5 bill, a $1 bill, a half dollar, a quarter, Four dimes and four pennies. And you say that equaled $7.19? $7.19. Okay. So they decide that they're not going to mark the bills because if Red sees marked bills, he might know something is up. So instead, they've just written down all of the serial numbers on the bills and then the dates on the coins so that when Mr. Link comes in to prove that Red is up to no good, they can reference the information. So Hector walks outside in proximity of Red, and Encyclopedia and Mr. Link look from the window inside Mr. Link's house. Just as Hector and Red start to talk, Mrs. Link enters the room where Mr. Link and Encyclopedia Brown are, and she goes, it's time for lunch, honey. And Mr. Link goes, in a moment, dear, in a moment. <laughs> please, Mike, please, get, name her her first name. Mrs. Link is, of course, Zelda. Yes, sorry, 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 yes. <laughs> Bonus point, of course. Uh, but yes, Zelda walks in <laughs> and, and says that. Also, this is the energy that I want, where if I'm helping the 11-year-olds, nothing can come up. I cannot be bothered. I have to solve this 11-year-old crime. Also, 
time for lunch. Like, who has a specific time where they eat lunch? Like, maybe dinner, but lunch feels like the most, like, wishy-washy meal of the day. Like, you could eat lunch at 2.30. You could eat lunch at 11.15. <laughs> like, there are no fucking rules for lunch. None at all. None at all. Mr. Link and Encyclopedia Brown approach Red, and they don't exactly have the proof to go on since they didn't see it, but they want to stop him and put an end to his shenanigans. Red is very defensive, says, I didn't take anything. All I did was get change from Hector. He, he then says, I don't have to show you anything or tell you anything. You're no cop. I know my rights, which I love this response from Red. I got to say, gaining a little bit of respect here. But Hector explains that Red stole the money from him. Red, in the whole his word against mine thing, says, no, I didn't. We made change, and then you dropped all the money I gave you into that drain over there. Remember, you clumsy kid? But Encyclopedia Brown knows that he is lying. He has definitive proof. So I turn to you three. How did Encyclopedia Brown know? Hmm. Aaron, we're gonna we're gonna yield the nope, floor. No, not this is a one I time. don't have an idea for. <laughs> you guys. Here's my guess. So, if I remember correctly, at the start, at the very get-go, their plan was to catch him red-handed. That's the caveat. Now, anytime you grab Red Slatterty and hold up his hands, he's red-handed. His name is Red. There's no time in his life when he's not red-handed. So, I think, I think that's the solution. Okay, I like it. This, this is a stretch, but my guess is that it's lunch. So, Zelda's making what? Like a sandwich? Unless it's like a hot sandwich, like who makes a hot sandwich for lunch? There doesn't need to be any length of time in between like when the sandwich is ready and when you eat it. Like most oh, if people you, for what lunch- What if you have sauce on it and the bread gets soggy? Okay, if you're doing a sauce sandwich for lunch, like that's a lot of sauce to make the bread soggy. Most people for lunch make it like in the morning and like take it with them all day and then eat it at lunchtime. So it doesn't really make any sense that Zelda would be demanding that there's like a time for lunch. Well, if it's a- if if it's a lunch for Link, we have to assume it's like an acorn, an apple, a Hyrule bass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess my answer to this riddle is that I think that the way that Mr. Link reacted to Zelda was over the top. I think Zelda's insistence that they eat lunch at a structured time was over the top. I don't think that there's nothing salvageable in this relationship. I think that there's still a lot that they can work on, but I think that they need to start in a place of honesty and they need to talk about how they feel and what they are expecting of each other and what they want to express in their relationship. That was really beautiful. Amen, amen, amen. Wow. And you're not only a doctor, you're a marriage counselor, right? I'm actually uh, Jerry Seinfeld's The Marriage Ref. Oh my God! <laughs> a show that rivaled only Ugly Betty and its ability to not stay on the what air. What year? <laughs> Wait, what year was that on? I don't know, 2014, uh, I would guess 2010? It feels really 2011 2012 -y. If it's not in the last decade, I would be shocked. I would, yeah, I would guess 2011 is my guess. Uh, 2010, 2010, 2010, right on the nose. Uh, I have no idea about Ugly Betty, though. That feels maybe like earlier than that. I believe so. Yeah, uh, Ugly Betty was uh, 2006 to 2010, okay. Oh, isn't that interesting that we've never seen those two shows in the same room together? <laughs> 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 maybe they're the same show. Maybe Ugly Betty was the marriage. Ref. Ah. I would like to change my answer. I'd like to amend my answer, I would say. Uh, my answer to this um, uh, mystery is that Ugly Betty was the marriage ref. And uh, final <laughs> got answer it, got locked it, got in. It, yeah. Aaron, do you have a guess? Uh, no, I don't. This one's really stumped me. Wait, before you tell us the answer, could you tell us what you thought the answer was? Yes. My guess was very, very bad. Good. So, <laughs> so 
<laughs> so what Red says is that he had change made. And what I thought is that if he is getting change, that means he's getting smaller increments in exchange for bigger increments. So my thought was that if he was getting change, he was giving Hector dollar bills, and then he would be getting coins back. So when he told Hector, you stupid kid, you dropped all the money down the drain, I thought that wouldn't make any sense. You can't drop paper dollars or, you know, you can't drop dollar bills down a drain. If anything, they would have to be crumpled or they would just stay on top of the drain. That was my guess. That was way too complicated. We've all overthought it. What it was is the specific dollar amounts that Encyclopedia Brown asked for. You can't make change for anything with that $7.19 because it was one $5 bill, one $1 bill, a half dollar, a quarter, four dimes, and four pennies. You could not make change for anything. You can't break anything down smaller with that. And that's how Encyclopedia Brown knew he was lying because Red said, all I did was get change. It's impossible with the money that Hector had on him. So the reason that I was not able to get this is because this, uh, the concept of paper money and even coin money uh, doesn't exist in the modern era. <laughs> Normally it's just like, hey man, yeah, just Venmo me and we'll like split it or, you know, I'll fucking PayPal you or like I'll get the next one. Uh, so I, I think that the real answer here is that these kids just need smartphones. Yes, that, that probably would have helped them a lot. A lot of these crimes could have been solved if they just would have had technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why we don't have any crime anymore. It's because, <laughs> oh, right. It's because of the technology. Or they could have, if you have a sock full of pennies, you got to go full metal jacket on your, on your, whoever your bully is. Mm-hmm. Take it to the streets. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. He should have just asked for like 40 bucks and nickels and just beat the shit out of that kid. <laughs> <laughs> or with a wagon full of socks, you can hire Flea to come uh, mediate your belly. Uh-huh. These are fully <laughs> counting on you overthinking them and like swinging to the fences. That's really what it is. It's just, it's it, the true essence of Encyclopedia Brown books is, did you notice that one tiny thing <laughs> that's that the book? They give you everything in there, but it's uh, the devil's in the details as it were. They keep you guessing because it's either so painfully obvious that you overthink it or it's just right. It, it, I don't know. I, I find myself being like, well, this makes sense, but that can't be it. And then it's it. Or the flip is just, you didn't notice that a thing was said, such as the details. They laid out all the coin amounts. I just didn't think. I was like, $7.19. That's silly. I know what the answer is. It's the dollars can't fall. So, you know overthinking that's what we all do here it just it sucks to know that there's an 11 year old in indiana that's smarter than me it just (laughs) it's humbling and it sucks yeah let's condescend to this kid because we're intimidated by him (laughs) i don't know adel it didn't seem like red was that much smarter than you i mean just because he found a good a good con and you've been sorry i meant tougher i meant yeah that now that is very true now i will say that uh many bonus points were given to jpc in this particular guest from the marriage counseling thing to the Jerry Seinfeld reference to that insult that was just thrown. All of that uh, has shaken up the score, but not enough. Adel has still won 11 to 7 to 6, meaning that you are the winner of this episode of Meddling Adults, and you've earned money for Asada's Daughters Charity. So how do you feel, Adel? Oh, I I feel good. Uh, I want to apologize to my co-hosts. I love them, and I should never have won. I don't deserve this, but (laughs) I want to thank you for having us on. This was a a goddamn delight. No, I'm so glad that you were all able to make it. This was very fun. This was a crossover that was destined to happen, and I'm glad that you could uh, take a break from riddles to solve some Encyclopedia Brown really hard-hitting crime cold cases 
that really <laughs> needed to be uh, really needed to be unearthed. I'm just glad that we didn't uh, have to get to that tiebreaker round, so we could really take your ass to uh, <laughs> trial uh, on stepping on our riddle game. Um, and Mike, I, I would like to thank you for being uh, for having us on. Uh, unfortunately, as I did not win, I did not have a good time, um, so I I couldn't recommend other people come on the show if there's a chance that you don't win and you have a bad time. Uh, I would say I would say maybe skip it. Um, <laughs> I'd love, to, I'd love to come back on uh, if it could be worked out ahead of time for me to win. Uh, yeah, well, if you come back on and we'll have we'll have no one competing against you. It'll be just me reading them to you. Good, 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 good. It'll just be Japes self-sabotaging. Good, 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 good. Yeah, as, as long as there's, uh, in the future, as long as there's no chance that I might uh, lose and therefore have a really bad time, uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that again. Uh, but thank you so much for having us. Uh, this has definitely given me a taste for solving mysteries, so please send me your murders. Or if you're going to murder someone, murders. like run through your plan with me and i'll see how airtight it is um yeah reach out i'm, I'm here to help send me your murder sounds like an evanescent song <laughs> <laughs> it's it also sounds like every true crime podcast that exists yep. That's oh true. yes yes, yes. send yeah, me your yeah. murders a wondery exclusive podcast <laughs> uh well the hey red real team it was an honor to have you on uh, if people want to find your podcast or know what it is you want to give a, a quick pitch to it because i feel like if people like this one they'll like yours aaron me Okay. Wait, you go, you talk at all, and then I'll just copy what you said. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I got it. Um, you can find us at uh, Hey Riddle Riddle on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're also, our email is hrrpodcast at gmail.com if you want to email us. But we're also on Apple and all of the other podcast places to find. Just type in Hey Riddle Riddle. Um, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Hey Riddle Riddle. We do bonus content there where we don't do riddles. We have a D&D campaign on that. So if riddles aren't your thing, we got different episodes on Patreon. I don't know. You copy me. Okay. I think Mike asked what the podcast was, so let me answer that real yeah, quick. Yeah, let's just talk about <laughs> so, what the show is. That's how you can find the show if you decide that what Adel is about to next say. next time to find out what the fuck the podcast is. <laughs> okay. It's three, the three of us. We're uh, improv comedians from Chicago. Uh, we solve riddles, but mostly we tear riddles apart and make fun of them, and we do improv scenes based on those riddles. And we'll just cut that back in. Uh, <laughs> just cut, cut that cut that section in the before section. It's it's like uh, being like, what do you do for a living? Okay, so it's like a four-story building. Uh, there's two bathrooms. Uh, office chair. <laughs> bank. <laughs> bank work at bank. I think I did a great job. I think you did a fantastic job. And you all did You did your best in these mysteries. I think that, that uh, the bonus points were heavy. The solving of the crimes was not. But that's just what happens when instead of uh, true detectives on the show, you have just a bunch of meddling adults. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. It's co-produced by Multitude. The music is by Bettina Campamanas. The art is by Mayan Atias, And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. 
If you are looking to support the show and get access to bonus content along the way, you can do so at patreon.com slash meddlingadults. All of our funds after covering expenses go to the charities that have won throughout this first season. And if you want to contribute to this charity pool just on a one-time donation basis, we did set up a PayPal account just for that. If you go to paypal.me slash meddlingadults, you can make a one-time donation and all of those funds will go to the charities as well. If you want to find the show on social media, you can. It's at meddlingadults on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to learn more about the show, you can go to our website, meddlingadults.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you for the next episode.